Well, welcome to Lakeview. How many are happy to be here today? Well, do this for me real quick. Turn to your neighbor. Look at him straight in the face and say, I'm glad to see you here at church today. Make sure you take a good look at those eyes too. Shout out the colors. Shout out the colors of eyes you saw. Hazel, right there. Thank you, sis. Good Lord. Hallelujah. I love hazel eyes, don't you? All right. All right. Hey, we've got several things going on. Today is 21 days of prayer, day eight. Day eight, 21 days of prayer. And you know, we go through those six o'clock every morning and then nine o'clock on Saturday mornings. But today is our day eight. Our prayer focus for today, and I think you're going to find this interesting, is patience and endurance. How many know we have to endure eight degrees when it shows up, right? And so we need something from God to help us endure that. James 1, uh, 2 and 3 says this, count it all joy, my brothers, and I believe he, he meant sisters too. So he said, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Do you know in your life, you're going to meet trials of various kinds. And sometimes we want to pray that those trials go away. And God's saying, no, I want you to be strong as you walk through that trial. I want to give you the strength to walk through it. Amen. And so we need patience. And so he goes on, he says, when you meet trials of various kinds, and now he's assuming something that they already know that we should probably already know. He said, for you know that the testing of your faith is what produces steadfastness. We sang this song a while ago, said, I'm going to be steadfast. Well, what's going to cause me to be steadfast is when I am patient and I endure hardship. Amen. When things are difficult, how do I respond? Do I go, woe is me? And do I get all downs in the, down in the dumps? And do I just say, well, Lord, if it's going to be this way, I quit. Or are we going to say, I know the Bible said that I can walk through the flame and I can walk through the water. And the flood won't overtake me and the flame won't burn me. Why? Because I am with you. Amen? And so I'm going to walk through it even though it's all around me. Even though the, the, the shadow of death is all around me, I'm walking through it. Amen? Come on, somebody. So let's give the Lord praise for that. Come on. You know, today is the 14th. The 14th is the day that we begin registration for our life groups. Life groups are really important. We say this about life groups, uh, that the um, life change, and we're talking about living a life-changing life, but true life change takes place in the context of a small group or a life group. Real life change doesn't happen necessarily in this big group, but it happens when you're in a small group with somebody else and you say something like, this is what's going on in my life. And someone looks you straight in the eyes and said, you know, that went on with me, but here's what the word says about that. And here's how I got through that. And all of a sudden you have the ammunition you need to walk through it. Your life's been changed. And so we're signing up for life groups. You can sign up online at lakeviewpeople.com slash life. But for today and today only, if you're not a computer type person and you don't want to do that on your computer or on your phone or in the app, <clears throat> uh, you can do it at, the back, at some back tables back here in the fellowship hall. We have sign-up sheets for you. Each sign-up sheet has a description of the small group, when it is, where it is, and who's leading it. And you can sign up there today um, if you sign up on a Wednesday night, we have several Wednesday night small groups. If you sign up on a Wednesday night, you need child care. We provide child care here on Wednesday nights, plus a youth service on Wednesday night for your youth age kids. Amen? And so what are we going to do? We're going to sign up for 
life groups today, all right? Thanks for that overwhelming response. Come on now. Dana and I are going to lead a, a small group on Thursday nights. We're leading a, a freedom group. That freedom group is for um, empty nesters or couples with no kids. Only because that's our age and we don't, we've already raised ours. Amen. <laughs> so if you want to come to that, you can sign up for that. Sign up in the back. Man, it's getting hot in here. <clears throat> anyway. We are in a series called Life Changing Life, and Pastor Daniel today is over in Vernon, and he is ministering this same message in Vernon today, but we also have people joining us online today. Let's give them a big hand and welcome them. We want to thank you for being with us today, and uh, this second message in this series is called How to Change, How to Change. See, life, life, um, life changing life, we talk about we want the Word of God to change our life, but then we want to be catalyst for life change in another person's life. And so the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, and listen to what Jesus said. He said, you are the world's light. You are the world's light. A city on the hill, glowing in night, for all to see. See, how many know that the Bible says that God is light? That said, Jesus, the life of God is in Jesus, and he was the light and life of all men. But then now Jesus is saying to you, as a member of his church, now you are the light of the world. No, Jesus, you're the light of the world. And Jesus is like, no, no, you're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. See, this is God's strategy for reaching the world. Come on. I want you to see it. I want you to see what the scripture says. Can you put that back up there where it says, um, you are the world's light? Thank you. Yes. You are the world's light. Yes. We need to embrace that. We need to acknowledge that, that as Christians, we're the light of the world. If the world's going to be one, who's going to do the winning? We are. Now, we're not alone. God's with us. The Holy Spirit's in us. We're not alone. He's equipped us. But we need to recognize that we are the light. And so then what does Jesus say? Jesus said, don't hide your light. Don't hide your light. And you know, a lot of times it's easy to hide your light. It's easy to say, no, I don't want to really say anything to that person. Lord, I was just on the way to Walmart. I just wanted to buy something. I don't want to be bothered. But he said, don't hide your light. Let your light shine. Why? Let it shine for all. And then notice what he says, let your good deeds glow. So how do we shine our light? We shine our light by doing good deeds. What good deeds? He said, let your good deeds glow for all to see so that they will praise your heavenly father. It's interesting that, that when um, the world sees us doing what God called us to do, it will, it will cause them to respond and give glory to God. Galatians 6.10 said, when he said, let all your good deeds glow for all to see, what good deeds are we talking about? He said, uh, Paul said it this way in Galatians 6.10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. He said, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Well, why would we do good to all people? This, 
Uh, next scripture is not in your notes, but it's on the screen. Luke 12, 48 says this, For unto whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. So let's cover this again. You're the light of the world. You're supposed to let your light shine. How? By doing good deeds. What happens when you do the good deeds that God has preordained that you would walk in according, according to scripture? When we do that, what happens? The world, glorify, they see what you do and they glorify God. And so what, uh, why do we do this? Because we've been given much. And because we've been given much, much is required from us. We are to be good stewards of the blessings that God has given us. I like this. Jesus is telling us the very same thing that God told Abram, who later became Abraham. He told Abram something. And it would be found in Genesis chapter 12. And in Genesis chapter 12, God said this to Abram. Listen to what he said to him. I will make you into a great nation. Now, how many know the body of Christ is a nation? We're a nation of people. We're, we're aliens in this world is what the Bible says. And we're a nation of people. We are, we are the body of Christ. So God told Abram, I'm going to make you into a great nation. That nation became Israel. But in the New Testament, we're the nation of God. We're the body of Christ. We're the children of God. And God blessed Abram. And notice what he said. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And then notice what he said. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I find this really interesting because if you read the book of Galatians, all the promises and blessings of Abraham are yours in Christ Jesus. So this is really important for you to recognize. If God promised it to Abraham in Christ Jesus, he promised it to you. So God's blessed you with the blessing of Abraham. Come on, folks. This is big. This is really big. This changes our possibilities. This changes our thinking. God has blessed us in Abraham with all of Abraham's blessings so that all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through the church. Hmm. So it's even possible that we can be a blessing. You can be a blessing to all the people of the earth. Here's what I want you to see. You're sitting here in Iowa Park, or you're sitting here in Burke Burnett or Electra or Wichita Falls. And we sometimes, from the area in which we live, we say, well, how could I be a blessing in the world. I mean, nobody knows me. Here's where I sit. Here's where I live. Here's where I am. I imagine some people get stationed to shepherd and they're like, where? Huh? We, uh, I lived in Alamogordo, New Mexico. I pastored there. I heard a lot from people who said, I cannot believe I have to live here. They got shipped to Alamogordo and they're like, yeah, the white, yeah, sand and desert and and so what I need you to know is you can be a blessing to the world where you live Amen. right now. Amen. And see, God wants, uh, there, there's another thing Pastor Daniel talked about last week where the seven streams 
The seven streams of influence. How many heard that last week? If you didn't get a chance to hear that, please go online and watch last week's message. You can go to lakeviewpeople.com slash media and you can watch last week's message. But he talked about the seven streams of influence that two of uh, Christianity's great men wrote about. And they talked about church being one, family, media, education, business, government, arts, and entertainment, and I would include with that sports. So here's what I want you to see. God wants you to have influence. God wants you to, he wants to show you how you can change the world, how you can change and how you can change the world. One of the things that we need to recognize is that if you look at all of these seven streams, a lot of times we look into them and we say, uh, as I was reading them off, you're like, well, yeah, I could have, I could have influence at church. I might have insurance, influence in my family. Would I have influence in media? And media includes social media. And you might say, well, yeah, I can have influence in social media. I can be a social media influencer. But then you might say, well, I, I don't know if I can have education. I'm not a teacher. Uh, business, I don't have a business. Uh, in government, I don't even want to be involved in government. Thank you very much. Um, what about arts and entertainment or sports? Now, I don't know if you were like me when you were a kid and you were growing up. All my sports heroes were bigger than life. Do you know what I mean? When I was a kid, and, and I hate to say this, I mean, absolutely do, but my favorite football team when I was growing up was the Dallas Cowboys. I can't even believe I'm letting that out of my mouth. But it's true. And I had one favorite player. And my favorite player was Bob Lilly. Anybody ever heard of Bob Lilly? Yeah. There was a time I could have probably named both the offensive side of the ball and the defense. I mean, I'm talking about the Don Meredith era. Both sides of the ball. I could probably name every, every player. I love them. And, and uh, we lived in Indianapolis, Indiana, and we had an ABA basketball team. And I remember one day, my dad took me to the basketball game, and he bought me this autograph book. And so I would go, and I would try to get with the players and get autographs. And man, I'd walk up to these guys. These guys, who knew them? They weren't in the NBA, right? They were in the ABA. And so I, I went up, and I would ask for their uh, autograph. And man, my hand would be shaken because these guys were like really, really something. And I would be like, how would I ever contact one of them if I actually wanted to say something to them. And you might think that about an actor. You might think that about a, a, a business tycoon, somebody that was a, a, you know, a Warren Buffett type businessman. How would I ever have a conversation with him? How would I ever have influence in their lives, right? I don't know if you're like me, but from where I live, where I am, who I am, how am I going to have influence in these areas? But God's this, what God's saying is that I've called you to all peoples of the earth. I've called you to every nation, and I want to give you influence even where you don't think you have influence. So you might be asking, how can I be a blessing in these streams of influence? What could I do to serve somebody in these areas? Well, John Maxwell is a writer. Many of you probably heard of John Maxwell. He's written probably close to 100, 100 books, many of them on leadership. John Maxwell made this statement. He said, the assumptions, the assumptions we make often restrict our thinking. How many know your thinking affects your believing? 
I've said this before. If you have stinking thinking, you have stinking believing. Right? Stinking thinking leads to stinking believing. So if you want to believe right, you have to change your thinking. So if you make assumptions or if you have the thoughts that, that you can't do something, you're right. You can't do it. So the assumptions we make often restrict our thinking. Therefore, it restricts our possibilities. Now, let me say this with you. With God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. Well, I don't know anybody in that area. I don't know that God's calling me to that area. All I'm saying is have an open mind. Have an open mind. Know this, that God can use you wherever God wants to use you if you're willing. The Bible says it's the willing and obedient that eat of the good of the land. It's the willing and obedient. And so we want to be willing and we want to be obedient. God use me because when we allow our possibility thinking to be that God can do whatever God wants to do, even from Electra, even from Burke Burnett, even from Iowa Park, God can do whatever he wants to do and he can use whoever is available and willing. And so let's apply this big picture vision that God has, that big picture vision that you are the world's light. That's a big picture vision. You're the world's light. Together we're the world's light, but individually you are too. And let's say to ourselves, Jesus said to me that I'm, the world of, uh, that I'm the light of the world. And if I believe what Jesus said, my assumption about my ability to influence will change. Not only is it possible for me to influence in the seven streams that we named, but it is also possible that I could be a catalyst for change and for blessing in my immediate sphere of influence. Again, our church, our family. And so I want to share a story from scripture that will speak to this. And and, uh, the first part of the story, I'm just going to read to you. The final scripture will be on the screen. So would you listen to me just for a moment? Acts 16, verse 16 through verse 30. If you have your Bible, you can look along with me. If not, we'll have it on the screen. (coughs) This is um, Paul writing, and he said, one, I mean, this is Luke writing about a, a thing that happened to Paul. He said, once we were going to the place of prayer, so they're on their way to church, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Do you know what kind of spirit that was? It was an evil spirit. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. And so she was being trafficked. Come on. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, would the devil advertise for God? No, the devil won't advertise for God. Here's what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to mock the fact that these guys are there to give them a way to be saved, and she's mocking them so that the folks that hear them won't listen to them. And so she kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed. Would you be annoyed? Can Christians be annoyed? Yes, they can. 
Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, because she had an evil spirit. So he turned around, he looked right straight at her, and he said to her, or he didn't say to her, he said to the spirit, come out of her. Come out of her. It said, he said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. Did you know what? In the name of Jesus, you have authority over evil spirits. You do not have to be afraid of evil spirits, but you don't have authority over other people's spirits. You can't command people in the name of Jesus to do stuff, but you can command evil spirits. And so when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, why? Because the spirit was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. And they brought them before the magistrates or the police and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. So they're challenging. He's challenging them. He's challenging them. The, 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 the owners are challenging and saying, Authorities, what are you going to do? Well, then they got the crowd all worked up. How many ever seen this? Mob mentality. They get the crowd all worked up. And the crowd joined in on the attack against Paul and Silas. And the magistrates, you know what? When the magistrates, what if the magistrates said, well, we don't want to do anything, but the crowd's worked up, everything's going, it's at a, it's at a high frenzy, and they're wanting some justice in here. Come on. And so they get it all worked up, and they ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And Paul and Silas said, no, just wait a minute. We just cast the devil out of that girl in the name of Jesus. God, you're going to let him beat us? You're just going to let him beat us? Do something, God. Here's one of those situations where your faith is being tested. Like, oh, I don't know about this Christianity if I'm going to get beat with a rod. You know what? We just have to be willing to do what God's asking us to do because God has a bigger picture. Notice what happens here. So they get, they had been severely flogged. Anybody in here ever been severely flogged? Anybody think you've been severely flogged? (laughs) My dad's favorite thing was to pull over to the side of the road and cut off a switch. That was his deal. I think I've been flogged. But anyway... They had been severely flogged, and they were thrown into the prison. Now, notice what the jailer does. The jailer is commanded to guard them carefully. Another translation says it this way, that he was commanded to guard them with his life. So what does that mean? I mean, just guard them with your life, because if you don't, you're going to lose your life. And when he received these orders, he didn't just put them in a cell. He put them in the inwardmost cell, And then he didn't just put them in a cell and lock them in, but he locked their feet in stocks inside the cell in the innermost part of the jail. He's like, you guys aren't going anywhere. And so how many know? We would look at that and we'd say, well, God can't do anything. Look where I am, God. And I'll bet you if it was us, we'd be like, God, I was trying to do ministry. I was trying to do something good for somebody. And somebody's talking bad about me. Or I'm in, I'm in this jail. Can you see, Paul? What would we have been like had we been in that jail? What would our attitude have been? Because let's see, 
Paul and Silas about midnight, what were they doing? The Bible says they were praying and singing hymns to God. They, must have, they weren't just whispering them. There wasn't a silent, unspoken request. They were praying and singing hymns to God. And the Bible says, now notice what the Bible says. The prisoners were listening to them. Doesn't say the prisoners were hearing them. How many know there's a difference between hearing and listening? And the prisoners were listening because they knew what happened to Paul and what happened to Silas. And they knew that they had been beaten, put in the inter cell and, and been shackled. And then all of a sudden, while, while, while they're listening to them, suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. And notice what happened. The jailer got woke. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew out his sword as if to thrust through and kill himself. Why? Because he's guarding with his life. All the prison doors are open. We're getting ready to have a, an exodus, right? And so he's going to thrust that sword through and take his own life. When Paul shouts, don't harm yourself, we're all here. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights. He rushed in fell trembling before Paul and Silas. You are the light of the world. How many people have ever come and fell trembling at your feet wanting to know how they could be saved? I haven't had too many in my lifetime. Maybe you haven't either. But on this day, this jailer came and the fear of his own government left him. And he fell at the feet of Paul and Silas and said, what must I do? Sirs, he said, sirs. Look at the respect he began to have for them. Why? Because they're singing and, and having praises uh, before God and they're praying before God. And all of a sudden the place shakes. Everything opens up. The gates of hell open up, right? And now they have the ability to accept Christ and they do. And here's what Paul says to them. He brought them out and he asked him, sirs, what must we be do, to do to be saved? And Paul replied, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. What's the will of God concerning salvation? All men, whosoever will. All you have to do is believe, right? And you know what? Belief is always accompanied with action. Matter of fact, Faith without action isn't faith. And so believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. And notice what he says, you and your whole household. We're talking about a sphere of influence. What was Paul's sphere of influence? Leading up to the girl, you know, chastising them and, 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 and annoying them, they didn't have a hope of reaching anybody in the prison not a hope. They didn't have access to the prison. But all of a sudden, because of the evil spirit, they cast the evil spirit out, now they have influence 
in an area that they never would have had influence in. And what did they do? They handled their manners. They handled themselves right. They worshiped God. They didn't, they didn't cry and grumble and say, I can't believe this. I, 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 I never had these problems when I wasn't a Christian. How many have ever said that? People have said that. I never had these troubles when I wasn't a Christian. Well, no kidding. The devil left you alone. He already had you. But now, but now, here he is. He said, believe in the Lord Jesus. You will be saved in your whole household. So now they have the, the, not just the influence of, of the people of that area, but now all the sinners, I mean, all, all the prisoners, maybe sinners, the prisoners, all the prisoners, as well as the jailer. Not just the jailer, but now his household. What is a household? Well, a household, this word household here is a Greek word, oikos, oikos. O-I-K-O-S. Anybody get the yogurt? Y'all know what I'm talking about. Oikos. It's the same word. It means household. They want you to have that yogurt at your house. Anyway, the Greek word is oikos, and it refers not only to one's immediate family. It does refer to your immediate family, but it also refers to people that you actually have a relational covering over. If you have a relational covering over a group of people, you are said to have influence over those people, right? Could be people you work with, could be people you go to school with. It could be your neighbors, people you know. The understanding of this verse is not that your oikos or your household will automatically receive salvation just because you did, but as a result of your relationship with them, now they have the opportunity to receive Christ because they are in your sphere of influence. And when they watch the way you live, they'll want to accept Christ. And so you impact your sphere of influence for God giving people the opportunity to be saved. So who is in your household? Well, number one, we call them my people. Have you ever heard Pastor Daniel in here? He was like, you're my people. Well, you are my people. You're in my household, right? Why? Because I have some level of influence over you, I think. <laughs> All right? Hopefully. Anyway, but those are your family, your friends, your classmates, your co-workers are in your sphere of influence. Now, who are those people? Okay. Well, on average, when we talk about this, studies have shown that most people, their closest, their closest people in their life, their they're people that they would consider my people, are people that they spend one hour a week with. One hour a week. So if you spend one hour a week with somebody, they are considered your household. All right? Now here's a side note to this. Most fathers spend less than seven minutes a day with their children. Now, let's say they did the maximum seven minutes a day and multiply that by seven. That's 49 minutes. They haven't even spent an hour with their children. It could mean that they're not even the greatest influence in their own children's life. And dads, I mean, I would ask you this. Do you want to be the greatest influence in the lives of your children? I know I do. I know I do. But I've got to spend more than an hour uh, 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 more than seven minutes a day with them to have the kind of influence that I wanted to have. Amen? So that's a side note. You can just add that in your notes. 
So you are in the household you're in. Let me say it this way. You're in the household you're in on purpose. God did that. He put you there. You're in the household you're in on purpose. I'll tell you a story. I've got a son. He is, uh, what, 17 years in the Air Force. But his first year in the Air Force, he was stationed in Panama City at Tyndall Air Force Base. And so there was a friend of mine. Or, uh, he really wasn't a friend of mine. He was a, an, a, an acquaintance who pastored a church there. Uh, we had actually both gone to the same Bible school. And so I told my son and his wife about it, and they started going to church there. Well, we were going to go down and visit them. And so he went to the pastor, and he said, you know, it's been a long time since I've heard my dad preach. He said, I'd sure like for when they come for him to preach here. Now, I didn't know this was going on. So the, the pastor goes, well, I've heard of your dad. I know your dad. He goes, yeah, he can preach here. So he called me. He goes, uh, by the way, and that's how he talks. Uh, by the way, when you come, uh, you're going to preach on Sunday. Like, oh, okay, okay. I'll preach on Sunday. So I had a message that I had been preaching at my own church. And, and there was something, I, I thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to preach that. I didn't have any other, any other idea about what to preach. So I preached what I was preaching. So I came in and I'm preaching a message much like, it was a little bit different. The church was more of a, a longer church with two different sections like this. And the pastor sat kind of like right in the, the middle aisle. He sat right there, right? So I'm preaching along and all of a sudden I say, you're in the family you're in on purpose. You're in the family you're in on purpose. But I didn't just say it. There was a lady sitting on the front row right here. And it was one of those things where the Lord just kind of like, I just like pointed right at her. I said, you're in the family, you're in on purpose. She kind of looked at me like, who are you to tell me that? And all of a sudden, I kind of just out of my peripheral see the pastor go. So I didn't know what all that was about. So I just, you know, went on with the message. But I said it several times. You're in the family. You're in on purpose, but pointed specifically at that lady. I didn't know who that lady was. I'd never met anybody in that church. So after the service, he, he kind of walked me back to his office, and we were talking, and he said, uh, said you're not going to believe this, but he said, that lady on the front row that you pointed at, um, there's been a guy trying to get her to marry him. And she's 75 years old, and she's really wealthy. And there's a guy that's been trying to get her to marry him. And we know that he's a shyster. And that's my mom. Wow. And he said, we've been trying to tell her to listen to us. We love you and care for you more than that guy does. And we're trying to protect you. And she wasn't going to listen to us. Well, the end of the story is, is that they went and talked to her. She did not marry that guy. And that saved her. But I didn't save her. Right? She was saved because she was in the family she was in. And the thing about it is, you guys, and when I say save her, she was already born again. But she was getting ready to make a really, really bad mistake. But here's the, here's the thing. You're in the family you're in on purpose. God put you there. Well, I can't believe he put me there. Do you know about my family? 
Have you heard Pastor Daniel talk about his? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Well, he's there on purpose. You can tell him I said so. So you're in the family you're in on purpose. God did that. Notice what Jesus said in Mark 5.19. Mark 5.19, Jesus did not let him, but said, this guy, wanted, this guy had been healed and he wanted to go with Jesus. But Jesus wouldn't let him go with him. He said, go home to your own people. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. What, are, what is your message to your people? The only message that you can share with your people is to tell them what good things God has done for you. That's all you have to tell them. Here's what God's done for me. I was lost. I had no idea where I was going. Things were going bad, but I turned my heart over to Christ. He put a love for me, for people that I didn't like. He put a love for them in my heart. I didn't even like you. <laughs> But he put a love for you in my heart, and that's why I'm here, because he put me in this family for a purpose, for a reason. You're in the family you're in for a reason. And so then, be a witness to your own conversion. Understand that God has given you people, and he's put you in a place. It's my place. He's given you his place. God also has you in a place on purpose. I can give you scripture and verse for it. Acts 17, 26. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. So here we know we're on earth. It's on purpose. God did it. But how many know my wife? I don't know if you know my wife, but she's lovely. I love her. And she's lived here all of her life. I haven't lived here all of my life. I moved here from New Mexico years ago. Now, I love New Mexico, and I think New Mexico is very pretty. The mountains, I even think the desert's pretty. You know, we tell the story about when the Death Valley uh, uh, bloomed and it was the super bloom. Well, we had a super bloom in the, in the um, Tularosa Basin down near Alamogordo. I love Alamogordo. I love New Mexico. I think it's beautiful. And then I moved here. And I was like, man, look at those mountains. There are no mountains. Look at those pretty evergreen trees. There are no evergreen trees. It's kind of ugly here. Do you know what I'm saying? I kind of thought, man, it's really kind of ugly here. I don't like it here as far as that's concerned. But after I moved here, I decided God's the one who sent me here, and if I'm, God sent me here, I need to like it here. I need to see the good things and not the bad things. And when you start looking for the good things, they, they're everywhere. And the good things about this place are the people. The good things about this place are the people. And so from one man, he made all nations that they should inhabit the whole land. And then notice what he did. He marked out their appointed times in history. You're on the earth in the space and time. You're on the earth because God ordained it. You're here right now because God said you're here right now. Quit wondering about that. Quit wondering why you're on the earth because God put you here. That's why. And so then he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. He put you where he wanted you to be. So, good, so God did this, and the reason why he did this is so that you would begin to look for him 
reach out and find him, is what verse 27 says. So God did what he did on purpose, and when he put you where he put you on purpose, it put something on the inside of you that you would begin to look for him in that place. The place where you are is important, and God ordained where you are for now. Come on, somebody. That's important. First service, I shared that. I had somebody meet me in the hall, and they said, man, we've been struggling. But now I know God has me here on purpose. It's easy to struggle. It's easy to get destination destination disease. Y'all know what destination disease is. I'd be happier anywhere else but here. That's destination disease. Get happy where you are. Because God planted you where you are. Psalms 90, verse 17. This is a prayer where this is a prayer that the psalmist prayed. Psalmist 90, Psalm 90, verse 17. I want you to see this because this is a prayer you can pray over yourself. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. So here's the prayer. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon me. Let's try it. May. The favor of the Lord, our God, rest upon me. How'd that feel? Did you try that on? Let's pray it again. May the favor of our Lord, the Lord our God rest upon me. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon me. I want you to pray that prayer because you're going to begin to find yourself having favor in the place where you live. Then notice what he says. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What are you saying? God, please establish the work of my hand in this place where you've planted me. There is, man, I'm telling you, I'm I'm just sensing it right now. Mm. There's somebody in here that said, I can't make it here. I can't make it here. But God's saying, I'll establish your hand here. I'll establish your hand here. I'll establish the work of your hand here. If you'll just do it, if you'll just do it, he'll establish it. I'm so far behind in this message, I'm never going to get it finished. (laughs) My people, my place, my passion. Understand this, that God's put a passion in you. A part of what he wants to do through you is to use your passion. God built you with a passion. And you might be passionate about something. Everybody's passionate about something. It could even be that you're passionate about where you live. It could be that you're passionate about um, music. You could be passionate about sports. You can be passionate about anything. But God wants to use your passion for his glory. And this church should be built with people that are passionate about things And those things that they're passionate about, they turn into their ministry. Why? Because your location, I mean your vocation, your passion, your vocation, the thing that you do is the location of your ministry. Your vocation is the location of your ministry. Three things if you're going to make a difference very quickly, very quickly. Our manner. Did your mother ever tell you to mind your manners? Yes, she did. If, you're gonna, if, if your life is going to matter, then your manner of living matters. It matters how you live. The prospect of living a life-changing lifestyle for Christ is all the motivation you need to mind your manner of living.
See, Colossians 4, 5 and 6 says this, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. Be wise. I would say it this way. <laughs> I mean, I know he's focusing on outsiders in this, in this scripture, but really you ought to mind your manners in the way that you act and be wise towards anybody. But especially outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation, the word conversation there is lifestyle. Let your lifestyle always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer everyone. See, we should be intentional and thoughtful about the answers we're going to give for our faith. First Thessalonians 4.11, he said, make it your ambition, your goal, your aim to lead a quiet life. I want to lead a quiet life. You should mind your own business. Come on. I mean, how much more plain can it be? Mind your own business and work with your hands. Just as we told you, so that your daily life, some people say the problem with life is it's so daily. Your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent upon anybody. See, winning the respect of people in your life is a motivation for how you should live your life. I want the respect of other people. I don't want them to look at me and say, well, he's a, he, he does one thing on Sunday and a different thing on Monday. Come on. Number two, if you want to make a difference, you got to recognize the moments, your moment, our moment. There are 8 billion people on the planet, but how many know God orchestrates each and every day divine appointments for us? So we need to be on the lookout for God-ordained divine appointments. Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Your steps are not accidental, but they lead to divine intersections where you come across people that you would have never come across, just like Paul. He was never going to go to jail unless God put him there, right? But God put him there for a purpose. There are people, I'm not saying you got to go to jail, but you might have to go to Walmart. I don't know. Might be as bad. I don't know. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. I want to say this to you. You are not charged with winning the whole world. You're just charged with winning somebody in your world. And that's so important. Then number three and final, our message. Be prepared to speak life-giving words that minister the grace and love of Christ. Let our church, we want our church to be known. Listen, we want our church to be known what we stand for, not what we stand against. We want to be known what we stand for. We stand for Jesus Christ. We stand for speaking with grace and love. We stand for sharing Christ with others. And when you stand for the right things, you won't fall for anything. First Peter, but in your hearts, Revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason you have the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. Now, I'm going to close right here. I was seven years old, maybe eight years old. I'm trying to remember. I can't ever get it quite figured out. I was in Muncie, Indiana. I lived in Muncie, Indiana. Actually, I lived in, we were talking about Anderson. I lived in Anderson, Indiana. But when I was in eighth grade, I lived in Indianapolis. I mean, when I was eight years old, I lived in Indianapolis, but we were in Muncie, Indiana at Southside Church of the Nazarene. Southside Church of the Nazarene. 
We were there with family because you're in the family you're in on purpose. We were there with family. And the pastor's name was Brother Greek. That's all I knew, Brother Greek. And my aunt was his secretary. And Brother Greek on a Sunday night was preaching a message. And if I, I can't tell you today what the message was. But I can tell you how it made me feel. And it made me feel like I wanted to accept Christ. That it made me feel that if a guy would die on a cross for my sin, why shouldn't I give my life to him? I don't see anybody else going to the cross for me. Nobody else went to the cross for you. Nobody else went to the cross for me but Jesus. And he died for my sin and he took my sin away. And I heard that message for the first time. I'd been in church many, 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 many times. I'd gone to all kinds of little Bible school stuff. I'd been in children's church. I'd been, not children's church, Sunday school. I'd been in all those classes. But this time, when he spoke, those words pierced my heart. And I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And he changed my life. And I'm not telling you from that moment forth, I was the perfect kid because I was not the perfect kid. I got in some trouble. I did some wrong things. But you know what? I will tell you this. I never went further than I could get back. I always had that thing on the inside of me saying, stop right here. You're going too far. You're going too far. You're going you're gonna to end up in trouble if you take the next step. And that was the Spirit of God on the inside of me. Because see, God loves you. And he doesn't want you to make those he doesn't want you to make those mistakes. So he will check you. And we want to listen to that. Would you stand with me this, this, uh, this morning? I want to share this with you. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. It says, the Bible says, the old things have gone and the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. What is the ministry of reconciliation? It's the ministry where you get to go tell people that God's not holding their sin against them. That's your ministry, to tell people that you work with, that you go to school with, that are in your family, that are in your sphere of influence, if, if they're in your sphere of influence, they're there for purpose. And the purpose is this, that you tell them God's not holding your sin against you anymore. I have this question for you. How many knew you were walking in sin when you were walking in sin? We all do. People know. They know. If you're walking in sin, you know it. You don't need somebody to come say, you're a sinner. No, they already know it. And so the good news of the message of reconciliation, it is a message of peace with God. Here's the message. God's not holding your sin against you, and you do not have to pay for your sin. Your sin was already paid for. While we were lost in our sins, in our trespasses, God sent his son to pay our debt. God does not send people to hell. We were all on our way to hell anyway. And Jesus Christ paid the price to redeem every one of us. So if someone goes to hell 
It's because they chose to pay for their own sin. If you're in here this morning and you'd say, you know what? I'm on my way. I know. I know where I'm going. You don't need to tell me. I know. But I want to have peace with God. I want to accept Jesus Christ, the one and only person who ever went to the cross for me, the one and only person who ever paid for my sins. I want to accept him today. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? We want to pray with you. It's just that simple. Right here. Right here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Okay. So what my assumption is, because we live based on our assumptions, is that everybody in here is saved, has accepted Christ. So here's my other assumption. Everyone in here is a minister of reconciliation. Everyone in here is a person that can go through those doors and minister Christ. I believe in you, and I know that God believes in you. He's equipped you. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray, but before we do, I'm going to ask our prayer team members to come down. If you're on the prayer team today, please come down. If you have need of prayer in your life, you have need for prayer of healing, or if you wanted to make a decision for Christ, but you didn't want to do it because I didn't say bow your heads and close your eyes, um, we have some people that will pray with you. It is. It can be a private thing. It can be something that you know, I, I don't want you to have any barrier to come to Christ. And so if you just want to come and pray with somebody, you can certainly do that. If you want prayer for your physical body, if you want prayer for anything that's going on in your life, our prayer team uh, members are trained to pray with you. And so we're going to close. I'm going to close in prayer. As we close, if you want prayer, come on down. If not, you're dismissed. I don't want you to forget, small group sign up is in the, four, in the fellowship hall along the back wall, please avail yourself to that sign up or go online, lakeviewpeople.com slash life. Father, I thank you for each person that's in here. Lord, I thank you that the Bible says that the entrance of your word gives light. And I believe that the word of God has gone forth. I know scripture says this, that uh, your word will not return void, but it will accomplish where we send it. It will accomplish what it's intended to do. So I thank you that your word is working. I also thank you that as believers, when we do the word of God, we are walking in faith. We trust you as we walk out this door today, we recognize that we have influence. And Lord, I ask that you would help us to begin to recognize our divine appointments and to understand that there's a message in us that we can share in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Have a great day. This